You're listening to the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. We highlight the stories of native Detroiters that are doing great things in their community and using their impact across the globe. I'm Marquise Taylor. Welcome to the D. What up, though? Welcome to another restaurant of the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. I am Marquise Taylor. And on this week's edition of the podcast, we have the opportunity to chop it up with a fellow Easter Michigan Eagle. Joining us on the podcast this week was the one and only Courtney B. Morris, who is a two-time graduate of Eastern Michigan University, as well as a current doctoral student at Central Michigan University, where she is pursuing her PhD in educational leadership. This episode, let me tell you, Courtney dropped knowledge. She spoke life. She spoke about many different things, including her love and appreciation for hip-hop culture and music, her commitment to college access and personal development for the young generation that's coming up in the city, as well as her upbringing in the city of Detroit and how it helped to cultivate a hustling spirit. I enjoyed this episode very much. In fact, I encourage each of you to support this young lady's work as she presents herself and presents that work. I truly believe that Courtney is going to be one of the leading scholars and experts in the field. And I hope that you all appreciate this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. So, without any further delay, why don't we tune into the discussion that I had with the one and only Courtney B. Morris. All right, this is Detroit Worldwide, and joining me today is a fellow Eastern Michigan Eagle, a two-time graduate of Eastern Michigan University. Joining us today is also a doctoral student, scholar, doing some amazing work in the city. Who we have on the podcast is the one and only Courtney B. Morris. Did I give you the introduction right? <laughs> you did, you did. Hey, hey, everybody. Hey, Detroit family, everybody. So excited to be here today with Marquis. For sure. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. I was wondering if you can tell our listeners who are unfamiliar with your background is who you are and work that you're currently doing. Yes, of course. So as introduction stated, my name is Courtney B., born and raised in Detroit. Right now, I do a lot, so I'm going to try my best to kind of put it in a very nice package with a bow on it. Second year doctoral student at Central Michigan University, and with that comes along my assistantship. So I am what many people call a research assistant. So I work very closely with a faculty member on campus, and I help them kind of push out their research projects that they currently have on their plate. So that takes up about part of my time. The other part of my time I spend at River Rouge High School as a post-secondary coordinator. So dealing with everything college access related, working 
in really, really closely with the senior class every year. I think I've been there. This will be my fifth graduating class for the class of 2020, be my fifth class that I've seen walk across the stage. But basically our primary, my primary role is to get them to start thinking about what they want to do after they graduate from high school and helping them kind of through that process. So whether it's a two-year college, a four-year college, they're thinking about going into trade and even some students who are choosing to go straight into the workforce, helping them set themselves up in a way that works best for them. Outside of those two main roles, I do work with Wayne State's College of Engineering and I do a lot of outreach for their college and any kind of K-12 programming that the College of Engineering may be hosting or sponsoring. So we do some work with Black Girls Code, Wayne State every summer, the College of Engineering does a summer camp. So it's called Camp Engineering. C2 Pipeline is affiliated in there somewhere. So I work with the director of uh, community outreach and I'm pretty much like her right hand or her left hand. And I help her get and push some of those programs out into the city so we can make sure that our students get exposed to STEM related fields. That's the nutshell. It's a lot of other things that are kind of packaged in there, but I would say those are my three primary roles that I currently have going on right now. All of those roles are fantastic. Doing work with my alma mater, Wayne State University, you're up in River Rouge. You are doing just a phenomenal job of immersing yourself in the community. And we'll get to all of those things in a little bit. But if you can tell our listeners what your experience is like growing up in Detroit and how that kind of shaped you into the person that you are right now. Yes. So, listeners, my experience growing up in Detroit was fabulous. There were some struggles that I encountered along the way. My primary childhood background, I would say, I was in a single-parent household. So later on, towards like high school, my mom got remarried to who I acknowledge as my father. He's gone and passed away, but he did step in and he played a very prominent role in my life once I got into high school. But as a child growing up, it was me and mom's and grandma lived right next door. I grew up on the west side. My favorite childhood memory or pastime is like sitting on the playground at the local elementary school eating grandma cookies and hot Cheetos for the juices. <laughs> um, so for me, Detroit, growing up in Detroit, I have fabulous memories, my friends on the block and, you know, middle school, elementary school, I have no complaints. It was it was magical. If I had to put one word on it, it was magical. Some barriers along the way, but it was definitely a magical experience. I can't imagine myself growing up in any other city besides Detroit. I don't think that I would be the person that I am today without having those roots tying back towards the 313. You know, a lot of things I want to unpack there. I guess one of the first questions I do want to ask you, you mentioned that you are West Side native. What area of the West Side did you grow up on? So my neighborhood high school would have been Mumford. So I'm in the seven mile Otter Drive area right off of Myers. So I grew up right okay. on Myers Road and seven mile was closest to me. So right where the Home Depot is on Seven Mile, mm-hmm. where Motor City Soul Food. Motor Everybody City Soul Food. <laughs> that's it right there. Yep, yep, that's it right there. <laughs> that's where I grew up. 
right over there. I'm dating myself because I think, if I'm not mistaken, that Home Depot used to be a super Kmart. It was. Yeah, yeah. So I remember when both of those first opened. I mean, I'm not that old, but I just remember <laughs> when those yes. first opened in that area. That's always been a, a really good area, really interesting area, because I grew up on the Finkel Evergreen area. So okay. a little bit of ways away, but I'm still familiar with the area nonetheless. Now, you growing up in the city and, of course, your high school, which I'm pretty sure that you'll be talking about with this follow-up question, how did growing up in Detroit influence you to pursue education beyond the high school level? Yes. So when I was looking at this question as I was preparing, a lot came to mind. I think growing up in Detroit, there's this sense of, in the academic world, we call it grit and resilience. I like to call it grind and survival, right? So in Detroit, you have these characteristics that you just kind of pick up along the way, even unconsciously, that just give you this this notion of being able to grind and hustle and like go after what you really, really want. And also being able to survive, survive the things that don't feel too good, the barriers, all of those things. So I did graduate from CAS, but I'm gonna be honest, and I'm so glad I get this platform to like put this out there because this is really, really important to who I am as well. I was not the typical CAS student when it comes to academics. My graduating class, I think, was like 440 something people. I was probably on the list of rankings like 400 and like if it was 440 people, I was 439. Like I remember looking at the class ranking list as a 12th grader, and I'm like this second from the bottom person. But with that, I always knew just from growing up in the household, my mom was a non-traditional college student. So she had me. And when she had me, she had to go into the workforce. But as I grew up, I saw my mom go back to college. So she always instilled in me, like, you're going to college. You're, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you got to go to college. And then being amongst the most elite students at CAS, even though that wasn't me in that that period of time, my classmates were getting like 36s or like high 30s on the ACT and like had 4.2 GPA. They were going off to like MIT and like Princeton and all of those really prestigious Ivy League schools. So even just being in that circle, I knew like I wanted something better for myself, even though I wasn't producing that better quality in that moment. So I think that Detroit influence and just being around people who hustle, like I was around the students who was hustling academically, even though my mind was in a different place. I was around my mom. I saw her hustle in the household, making sure that we had everything we had. That, I think, I didn't see it until later, but I think that was that piece that gave me the influence to go on outside of, you know, graduating from high school. Mm. Well, unpacking that response, and one thing I do want to say is shout out to Moms for giving you that example. And if you don't mind me asking, what did she pursue her education at? Yeah, so Mom went and got a bachelor's in business administration, and then she also went on to get her certification in real estate. So real estate Mm. is what she's currently doing. But that hustle and seeing her, like I remember when I was in middle school going with her to the Southfield Library to like do her homework and like her group papers with her group mates. And I was young, like I was a little kid, but growing up and seeing my mother as an adult, my my role model and pursue that was also, I think, it's real, it's funny when things come full circle. You don't really get it in that moment, but like when you get a little bit older, life starts hitting you, you start experiencing things for your own. You're like, ah, that's what that's what was happening when I was going to the library with mom and all of those things. So yeah, mom is 
Mom is fantastic. Thanks for the shout out. Hey, mom, she's probably gonna watch this. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, we'll make sure that we end this tour once we're done with this episode. But maybe as a follow up question, not to actually know the question about your mom, other than you seeing her grind and being on her hustle and doing the things with her classmates, like the projects and things like that. What are some other observations or takeaways that you gathered from her throughout that experience? Yeah, so because it was me and mom, mom was like my first my first real best friend. And what I've learned from her is that hard work pays off. And the only way that you can really truly get what you deserve is if you work for it. Like no one is gonna put anything in your hand unless you work for it. So from her, I got that piece of hustle. Like, I mean, I think when we hear the word hustle, I think our minds automatically, or sometimes some people, depending on who the person is, the mind automatically goes negative. Like, oh, hustle. Like, are we talking about hustling in the streets? And you know, all of that that might come with that word. But for me and my household growing up, hustle was really like, go after what you want. Like, if you want this degree, then you gotta get it. Like, nobody else can get it for you. If you want this job, then you gotta do what you need to do to make sure that you get this job. So I think that that determination and that motivation to, to keep going, even when things get hard, I think that was the greatest lesson that I picked up from my mom and, you know, being raised by her. Mm. Wow, that's that's wonderful. Very inspiring to hear. And I'm pretty sure that you were able to take away many things from your mom that you probably are recognizing now and probably will be recognizing later as you continue along your collegiate career. Mm-hmm. So just as a recap, graduate from Cast Tech. You, you mentioned that you weren't necessarily, and I don't want to put yeah. words in your mouth, but the strongest student at the time or... Yep. Yeah. Okay. So then you went on Eastern. Now, was Eastern your first choice or were you looking at other schools as you were navigating the college experience? Yeah, so I had real high hopes. Like, I just knew I was going to Michigan State. I knew I was probably going to be Go Blue, somewhere around those lines. But, you know, admission counselors for these universities start coming in and, like, they weren't checking for me. They were looking for <laughs> the people who were qualified to get into those schools. So what ended up happening was I graduated from high school. And when I graduated from high school, at the time, they called it Detroit Compact. So if you had been in a DPS school system for majority of your K-12 experience, then you get this scholarship to go on to some kind of post-secondary institution. They had two tracks. So if you were below a 3.0 when you graduated from high school, you can go into a two-year college or a community college. If you were above a 3.0 and you had admission into a Michigan University, then you can go that route as well. So I was below the two point, the 3.0 when I graduated from high school and I didn't really have a plan. And I think that's why my work now with high school students is really, really important because I want to make sure that students have a plan when they're thinking about life after college. I didn't have a plan. I just knew that I was going to college. I didn't know how I was supposed to get there. So I graduated and I ended up going to Seacrest College, which is a two-year community college field in Livonia, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And that's where I started my whole undergraduate experience at Schoolcraft College. Wow. You know, as I'm hearing you talking, your story is very similar to how I felt. And yeah, I probably was at the bottom <laughs> of my yeah. class ranking too, now that I'm thinking about like, yeah, I, 
yeah yeah and that's so, real I think a lot of times I'm thinking at myself now where I'm at now and like now I'm looking at I'm working with the student so I'm like the administrator or I'm the professional in the building helping students think about this but there was a time where I was the student and I remember and I'm not gonna call names or anything like that but I remember that the kids at the bottom of the list didn't get any attention it's like if you don't have these requirements then like let's not even talk about college and that's important because those students do matter as well like everybody deserves the chance especially if they want that chance and that opportunity so listen for the listeners the students at the bottom they matter and we end up coming up somehow some way Marquise and I are an example of that so shout out to us <laughs> <laughs> well you probably more so than me I mean I was too stubborn to want to go to Henry Ford I mean I probably should have and I know Schoolcraft is a good school as well but I wouldn't change my journey or my track for anything because it gave me that sense of belonging that sense of affirmation and yeah I mean you're doing it big and actually a great transition. What was your experience like at Schoolcraft? Because I know it has a really good reputation as being one of the premier two-year institutions in the state of Michigan. What was your experience like there? I think Schoolcraft in general played the appropriate role that it needed to play in that moment in my life. Because it was a, a two-year college to me and because it had that branding of a community college, I didn't really immerse myself into the, the campus. So I drove on campus. If my class started at 11 o'clock, I was on campus by 1045 in my seat at 11, finished my lecture with my professor in my class by 1215, and I was back in the car. And that's really how I like got through my two years. So when I talk about undergrad, I think a lot of times, for me at least, I jumped straight to Eastern because Eastern is really when I started to feel like, oh, wow, I'm in college. This is how it feels to be an undergrad. These are all of the things that you can really do on campus. Schoolcraft gave me the credits that I needed, and I don't think I would have done it any other way because, honestly, Marquise, if I would have went to a four-year university, I really probably would not have done well my first year or two of college. I wasn't ready for that. Socially, I don't think I was. Academically, I don't think I was. I was challenged at school prep as far as academic, but it was just enough challenge. So it worked well for me. It, it worked well for me. Okay. Well, let's talk about Eastern then. So you transition out of schoolcraft and you go to Eastern Michigan. So what did community and support look like for you on Eastern Michigan's campus once you made that transition there? Yeah, so I remember it was 2012 is when I made my transition to Eastern. I knew absolutely nobody on campus, transfer students. So the way you transfer to a four-year university is very different than how you would transition into the university as a first-year student or a freshman. But I remember, what I do remember is that I knew I needed a job on campus. Somehow, one of my friends or I was getting some information from somebody and they were like, no matter what you do, when you start, make sure you find a job somewhere on Eastern campus. So I said, okay. And I think this was probably about maybe a few weeks before the semester started. I jumped online and I kind of browsed through some departments on campus and things like that. And I came across the Department of Diversity and Community Involvement. And they had a multicultural center. And they were they posted on their website that they were hiring for student programmers. So I applied, fast forward, I ended up getting a job with the Center for Multicultural Affairs. And that's when I met 
the best people in student affairs that I could have ever met. The the famous Eastern Michigan Reggie Barnes and a few other people, Mary Larkin, the whole little department that was there. So Multicultural Center, the Vision Volunteer Center, the Women's Center, LGBTQ Center, everything was there. That was my little family. And I think that that was the perfect integration into the university because even though I didn't know anybody, I still felt like I had a place to belong. And from there, because that was my foundation, I was kind of able to blossom into something that looking back, I'm proud of. I'm proud of what I've become and I'm proud of my undergrad experience and the things that I was able to accomplish. And part of that, most of that is because I did have that community of people in that department on campus. Affirmation and community goes a long way. I mean, that department that you mentioned, I also had some experience working there and I also received some of that same affirmation, but I can imagine for you and again, as I'm hearing you talk, we have so many things in common yeah. that I also didn't know anybody on Eastern's campus myself going there as a grad student. But again, that community and support, that's very key and very critical. Now, when you were at Eastern, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I know that you pursued a major in social work. And then what was your other degree in for your bachelor's? So my major was health administration and my minor okay. was social work. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how did you select those majors? So going back to when mom was telling me when I was a, a child, you're going to college, you're going to college. So when people used to ask me when I was young, what do you want to be when you grow up? My answer was always, I want to be a doctor. And I did want to be a doctor. I wanted to be a medical doctor. And then I got to college and I took anatomy and physiology once at Schoolcraft and I failed miserably. <laughs> um, and then I transferred to Eastern, took it two more times and like did not do well in it. So health administration came about because that was my fallback plan. The original plan was med school or, or nursing of some type, but I realized very quickly that I didn't really like science the way that I thought I liked science. Not enough for me to be a doctor or for me to be a nurse. So I ended up going with health administration and then along the way picking up a minor in social work because I really did like the idea of helping people through situations, helping vulnerable populations and health and human services type of field. And that's how I came up with health administration and social work. So everything being said, you go to Eastern, you find community, you find support, you identify that major, you identify that minor. Looking back at that experience, what advice would you kind of give your younger self if you can go back in time? If I can go back in time and give my younger self advice, I think that I would tell myself to enjoy the moment for what it is. I think I spent a lot of time trying to figure out a plan, even though it was okay for me not to have a plan or to be willing to explore what a plan looks like. I think in undergrad, I was a very checklist, goal, check off person, like, okay, I need to do this by a certain age. I need to have this completed, things like that. To a certain extent, I still kind of carry some of those characteristics, but back when I was in undergrad, like it was very, very like, I was 
very tight about that stuff. Like, if I didn't have this done or this done, then I felt terrible about myself or, you know, I felt like I failed at something. And really, that's not what undergrad is about. Undergrad is about really coming into yourself, figuring out who you are, and that's okay. So if I can go back, I would tell my younger self that it's okay not to have it all figured out. I like some of the things that you said there. The last thing that you said, it is not okay, but also something you said earlier, living in the moment. And I tell my younger students or my students in general, especially the ones that are pursuing their four-year degree, like this is a precious time that you are experiencing. And this is a time that you won't be able to get back where you can have that freedom to explore, that freedom to figure out who you are. And But I know easier said than done, I was probably like that as well and you know it's a part of that grind like you know I'm here for a reason I'm trying to get my stuff and get on out of here and figure out what the next step is but living in the moment that's something that I've learned to embrace as I've gotten older and I'm just got kind of curious to know like what you felt about that as you give advice to your younger self yeah now, and that's the daily practice like if I can just add that's a daily practice so I still ain't got it all figured out <laughs> <laughs> But that's that's something that I still work towards. But like younger self now and my current self and my future self, I just hope that that's a practice that I continue to to stay with, like understanding that I don't got to have it all figured out. Like there's always something worse that can be happening. You know what I'm saying? And to be in this moment at this time, even if it doesn't feel the greatest, it's okay. And it's okay not to have that answer. So I'm sorry for <laughs> No, you're good. You're good. I mean, and I appreciate that response there. And I know that we work to try to make the best versions of ourselves and it's never ending. I cannot say that I am the best version of myself. I'm striving for that and I'm striving for learning, but that's the beauty of life. We have the opportunity to continue to grow. I mean, if you stop growing, what's the purpose of living, right? Now, you transition out of undergrad, you earn your degree in health administration and your minor in social work. I am kind of curious to know, like, what were some driving factors that led you to pursue uh, graduate education? Yes. So I knew or I recognized probably, so it took me five years to get through undergrad. So two years at Schoolcraft and then three years at Eastern. So probably around the second and the third year at Eastern Michigan, once I had really got comfortable with myself and I knew who I was on campus and I'm working with, you know, like the Reggie Barnes, the Darmay Weathers, Decky Alexander. There was a lot of people on campus that really played a big role in my undergraduate career. I asked the question to one of them, like, how did you get here? Like, what's, what's your background and what level, you know, what was your degrees in and things like that? And I think that's the first time that I recognized, like, you can go to college and get a degree for, like, higher education. You know what I'm saying? And I think that was my, oh, wow, like, I want to go on to grad school. What happened was, if I can insert really quickly, my junior year of undergrad, my father ended up passing away. And I, I, I say this to drive home the fact that the community part as an undergrad student and where you choose to go and how you choose to connect yourself with your university and the people that you choose to connect yourself with at your university is very important because when that life factor happened to me, it was the people like Reggie Barnes and Dar Mayweather and all of that department that showed up for me in that time of need. And I think that was my final confirmation that I needed when I was going through that period 
period of time where I was like, I want to show up for students in the future the same way that they're showing up for me. And that's when I knew that I wanted to go on and get education in higher education and student affairs. Courtney, first of all, I just want to commend you for being vulnerable because I can imagine what you just shared was not easy. Yeah. And then secondly, the fact that you are acknowledging the community and how they supported you. Shout outs to them and the Black community at Eastern because it is definitely real. It's real. It's a real community. For sure, for sure. Now, you then go on to the education, higher education, student affairs track. Was Eastern your first choice or did you have other schools in mind? Eastern was not my first choice. Eastern was not on the list. Oh. I was very adamant about pursuing a graduate degree at a university other than Eastern. I didn't really have any particular negative aspects as to why. I just wanted a different experience. Michigan State was actually my, my top choice. I had applied to five schools, got into all five schools, got funding for all five schools, and right as some individuals were transferring or transitioning out of the university at Eastern, they were moving on to other universities. The opportunity had came about to teach a class as a graduate assistantship. And I think for me, that teaching part was something that I really, really wanted to take advantage of. All of the other opportunities that the other institutions did not provide a teaching assistantship or any kind of experience in teaching collegiate level. So that's how I ended back at Eastern at the time. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Brotherhood Initiative, but Brotherhood had been pumping and alive for a few years by the time I had graduated and decided to go back to pursue a graduate degree. But what we did not have at the time was the Sisterhood Initiative, which is the, the sister aspect of the brotherhood and right when I was looking and trying to figure out where I was going to go to pursue my graduate degree they were finalizing sisterhood and they decided that they were going to have a class that was just specific a UNIV transition class that was specific for women of color and I was asked to teach that class so that's how I ended up at Eastern and I know several people who went on to Michigan State and pursued their program at Michigan State Michigan State does wonderful things with their programs, but I would not have changed my decision. If I can go back in time, I would choose Eastern every time again. I think that was the best decision that I've ever made. That response is dope. And to answer your question, I am familiar with that program. I've had some involvement with that and I'll share offline. But it is good to hear about that and hear some of the some of the experience that you had in your graduate education, because that's that's dope. Did like the fact that they had a UNIV class devoted to that cohort of students is like awesome to hear. So again, I don't. I, I we'll talk more or less offline because I want to focus on you, but that that's dope. So go to Eastern, and then I know that the graduate program is typically two or so years. So upon completion of your master's degree, what happened next? So while I was at Eastern and I was doing my master's degree, I also at the same time started working, well actually I took a year off between bachelor's and master's. So during that year off was when I started my first year at River Rouge High School. So then years two and three at River Rouge was years one and two for the master's program. So by my third year at River Rouge is when I graduated with my master's degree. So I just, what is it, 2019? Just graduated last year. Yeah, last 
last year, 2018 is when I graduated with my master's degree. So I knew at the beginning of my master's degree, or probably soon after I started my master's degree, that I wanted to go on and pursue a PhD. So I was actively applying to programs the semester I was getting ready to graduate from my master's program at Eastern. And I knew by the time that I graduated from Eastern where I was going and what I was doing, which was Central Michigan University program. So I went straight into the PhD program after graduating with a master's. No breaks, no breaks. And no breaks. <laughs> no, it's all good. That's that's a good thing. That's a I good feel thing. it though. I feel the no breaks now. Well <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good thing. Now with you being in that doctoral program, PhD program over at Central Michigan, how important is it for you to carry on the torch that has been passed down to you by other scholars, especially as a black woman? That's a heavy question, but a good question. It's very important, especially for the research that I'm looking to do for my dissertation. It's research that is out there. It exists, but it's not research that has been existing for long periods of time or a lot of scholars that are like actively doing this type of research. So my dissertation research will be focusing on black male collegiate students at predominantly white institutions and how hip hop culture can serve or can add a component of a sense of belonging for them, which in turn would help with retention and persistence. So the facts, the, the, the scholarship is out there that states that out of all of the different groups of students that we have going into higher education, black males are lagging behind everyone. So they they don't graduate at the highest rate as everybody else. They take longer to graduate at the highest rate. And then they are also are not always able to be retained. So my contribution back to the literature, because I get asked all the time, why don't you why aren't you focusing on, on black women and things like that? I feel like in a lot of ways that area is covered. And I think for my contribution back into the literature, I wanted my contribution to be in an area where it's needed. And I feel like for black males, it's needed. If we're going to push the agenda of higher education amongst all, then we need to spread a little bit of love and a little bit of attention on our black males. So yeah, I can go down a rabbit hole about my research. So I actually <laughs> forgot what the original question was, but it's very important to me because I know that it's the need. No, no I think you kind of answered the question. I think the last part of my question was you being a black woman and kind of carrying on that torch that okay. passed down to you. And I think you've kind of alluded to that. I mean, you can definitely revisit the question if you like, but, and I am interested to hear more about your research. So however you want to take, you can either answer the last part of my original question, or you can talk a little bit more about your research, however you want to take it. Yeah, so I'll try to hit on both without taking up too much time. To pass on a torch, especially as a Black woman, I think Black women, to pursue a PhD, period, as a Black person, for me, it's almost like representation matters, right? So I think a lot of my motivation to pursue a PhD comes from the fact that I work with students. And sometimes the first person that they see, the first person besides their teachers in the classroom or their, their regular staff members that they work with in the building, the first person that they see that they can relate to that has a college degree is usually me. And I wanna go as high as I can go to show them that they can also reach just as high. So it's important 
because for me, I want to make sure that I'm I'm leaving a, a footprint that is grounded enough for the students who are coming after me to have some sense of what's going on and where to pick up. And I think that's what research and scholarship is all about. Like when you read dissertations at the end, they're just like recommendations. Where do you pick up after I leave off? And that's really, really important. As far as my research, I know with hip hop, especially hip hop music, especially when I when I say hip hop, I'm thinking about like the culture, right? The, the modern black culture, how we talk, how we show up in spaces, our expression through fashion and clothes, as well as music. I know that that played a very, very crucial role in my identity as a child growing up and also who I was as an undergrad student. Like I remember on my hardest days, I was listening to maybe a little bit of Tupac, maybe a little bit of J. Cole, and maybe a little bit of Jeezy on my way to class or, you know, transitioning from here to there. And I'm interested to see when we actually put the time, the resources, and the investment behind this research, how can this hip-hop culture show up for Black males where we can make sure that they're graduating and graduating in, t- in a timely manner. So, yeah, that's been my... My main thought, my priority, I spend a lot of time looking up scholarship that's already existing regarding that, where the the gap is, where I can kind of contribute, whatever has not been tapped into. A lot of the research that's out there is focusing on hip hop culture and K-12 and how hip hop songs and music can be used as a form of memorizing material, curriculum and material. So it's there, it's some, there's a dissertation that just came out this summer. He just successfully defended University of Oklahoma. His name is Dr. Stevie Johnson, just published a dissertation. His dissertation was the first dissertation, not saying that, I don't know if they exist, but the one first that I've encountered that talked about hip hop culture as a sense of pushing back against anti-blackness for black males at predominantly white institutions. So it's out there. I think people are starting to notice with the trend in pop culture that like this music really, really matters. And I think we spent enough time talking about how it negatively contributes to society. And I think it's time to start talking about, okay, what are the positive aspects to this and how can we really make this work for what really matters? And for me, that's black males graduating from college. Wow, that's got a lot of layers there. I mean, again, we have so much in common. It's not even funny, but I know for me growing up, hip hop was very influential on in my life, the mm-hmm. culture and also the music. But I really like the angle that you're taking as far as providing that sense of belonging and really looking at the positive impacts of the culture rather than the negative connotations that people tend to associate with the culture and the music itself. So, yeah, yeah, much success to you in that. I can't wait to read. And again, we might have to talk more offline about some of the stuff that you're doing. I might have to uh, use you for some research. Hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I don't want to say I'm an OG, but you know, (laughs) I'm not that old, but at the same time, I can, 
I can tell you uh, some stuff or whatever, but uh, yeah, we'll definitely be talking. So I do actually want to pivot this conversation and bring it back to the D for the second. And you being so close to Detroit, being in the state of uh, Michigan, how have you been able to lend your talents and gifts to the city? So I surround myself with a very diverse group of individuals. And I think the one beautiful thing about my network of peers is that we're all trying to contribute back to the city in some kind of capacity. So I am like right now in my current, you know, what I got going on right now, I'm talking with some individuals who are also from the city that are are ready to invest in the city in ways in which like we didn't necessarily have those things growing up. So like for us, was really, really important. And when I say us, I mean like my network of peers is recreation centers no longer exist in the city. Like that used to be a very, very big part of our childhood, my childhood, my peers' childhood. Like what are we gonna do about like physical activity and like safe spaces for our, our kids? So coming up with these ideas and starting to put like some resources behind our ideas to make sure that we're actually not just about talk, but about action as well. I think that I would say that's probably what I'm currently doing to give back to the city. But that's that takes time, right? That's not, let me just come up, cook something in the kitchen and then serve you a nice dinner on a platter. That's something that you gotta plan it out, you gotta work your plan and then you gotta see your results. So right now the results aren't solid on the ground, but we are actively making sure that we are putting ourselves in places and spaces to invest and put resources behind giving you, because I think that's the common denominator with my my group is the youth. Like we care about the youth and we care about Detroit. So ultimately we care about Detroit youth and how do we make sure that they get the maximum exposure to all things that are quality of life to make sure that they're good when they get ready to go off to college or when they get ready to, you know, start thinking about how to make their lives of quality. So I would say that it's hard because like the results aren't instant. Sometimes we want instant gratification, but it's coming. It's coming. We got some stuff that's coming. Well, definitely. I appreciate you sharing and I wish you and your group much success in that. And do let me know how I can lend my support to what you're doing. And again, like I said, we can talk more offline about other initiatives that you're working on as well. Now, I know that you're a big fan of music. You mentioned your research. You mentioned some of the artists that really got you through sometimes as an undergrad, probably in life as well. So... Everybody who comes on Detroit Worldwide, I often ask them the following question. If they had to identify a song that best represents Detroit in their opinion, what would that song be? So Courtney B. Morris, I pose that question to you. What song, in your opinion, best represents Detroit? Okay, so I got a deal. I have a song, but can I also mention my honorable mentions as well? Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So my song would be, because I viewed this question two ways. I viewed it from a song where the lyric actually speaks to the, the experience of Detroit. And then I viewed the question from, if I'm riding through Detroit, what song am I going to bump if I'm trying to like get motivated, you know, get inspired, feel like that Detroit spirit? Okay, so my song is Nipsey Hustle, Grinding All My Life, which is mm. um, one of his songs off of Victory Lap. 
And I chose that song because I'm a, a chorus person, a hook person. So I like to listen for the hook. I like to listen for the message that's going to be repeated throughout the song. And the message that's repeated throughout this song is all my life, I've been grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, gotta roll the dice. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. And I feel like that's just the perfect package with a nice little bow on top of the Detroit experience, especially for me and how I would translate that into a song. So every, when I'm thinking about my childhood, I'm thinking about now, people in Detroit, Detroit natives, particularly speaking, black people in Detroit, Grinding is like really a part of our lives and we spend a vast majority of our lives grinding, grinding for whatever. If that's grinding to put food on the table, grinding for your college degree, grinding for your paycheck, grinding for your business as an entrepreneur, we are grinders and grinding is a part of who we are as Detroiters. And sometimes that comes with sacrifices, grinding comes with hustle and you got to pay a price for that. And sometimes the price is you got to give up, you got to win some to lose some, or lose some to win some, things like that. And then the, the, the line where he says, want a slice, you got to roll the dice. Like, if you want some of this bread, you want however you translate bread. If bread is opportunity for you, if bread means money or any kind of monetary funding, you have to roll the dice and you got to take risks. And I think natives of Detroit, black natives, we we have to we take risks. That's a part of who we are. That's a part of our Detroit experience. At least for me, I spent a great deal taking risks. I spent a great deal grinding all my life. So I think that would be my song. If I had to choose a song that relates to my Detroit experience, I would choose Nipsey Hustle's Grinding All My Life. Okay. And you said you had an honorable mention too? I got two honorable mentions. So I know you said that the song did not have to come from a Detroit artist, but I feel like I couldn't I couldn't move on from this question without mentioning Blade Icewood and the boy would you boss up and get this money. That would be one of my honorable mentions as well as Doughboy's Cash Out, Good Ass Day. And I picked that song because I remember as a high schooler driving to school in the summer or summer school, the classes that I did not pass, but that's <laughs> beyond me. And listening to that song, and I think that that song is, especially when you're talking about rap and hip hop, and you're talking about Detroit, I think that's a classic. If you talk to any OG that might know something about some kind of Detroit music, those two songs would, would probably always come up in a conversation. So I just wanted to shout those songs out as well. Yeah, me taking that back. I mean, I think I probably was in high school. No, I think I was out of high school when those two songs came out. But yeah, I mean, a Nipsey song, I mean, that's a heavy rotation that you mentioned, but that's dope. I mean, you really are a hip-hop head. I, I think yeah. we have to talk, <laughs> talk offline. We have to talk offline. All right, so you kind of alluded to this question, but I guess I'll ask it to you anyway. What are you currently working on and how can we best support you as a community? Ooh, I am currently working on making sure that representation for Black people shows up in the academy. And I think for me, support is like positive vibes 
understanding even if you don't understand that like this work is not easy um there's something called imposter syndrome like I show up in spaces every day where like I'm the only black person and then on top of that I'm the only black woman so understanding that the work is not easy and like words of encouragement affirmation send me an article about black males send me an article about hip-hop show me some love I think when we show each other love I think everything and anything is possible so if I had to just choose one thing just show me some love on Instagram on social media if I see you out in the city just show me some love because I need some love because <laughs> no breaks and going straight through into a PhD program it's not it's very very challenging work I'm not going to say it's hard, but it's challenging. It's very challenging. Well, we'll definitely make sure as a community here on Detroit Worldwide that we will continue to show you that love and show you that support. And I will definitely recommend some books and articles as I'm thinking about about things. So definitely some things that are on my bookshelf I think that you would appreciate. So you mentioned social media, of course. You are very active on Instagram. Your IG stories are great to see. (laughs) I'm living vicariously through you when it comes to travel, especially when you travel abroad where can people find you on the social media space yes so people can find me on instagram at miss ms courtney c-o-u-r-t-n-e-y brand b-r-i-e-a-n-n miss courtney brand all together on instagram on twitter they can find me let me pull up my twitter i'm sorry um on twitter they can find me at Miss Courtney Bree. So M S C O U R T N E Y B R I E on Twitter. And those are my two my two faces of social media that you can find me at. For sure, for sure. Well, we make sure we get those in the show notes where people can find you and see some of the great work that you're doing. So, last minute thing I want to ask you as we kind of head into the home stretch, and you think you might have answered this in one of your early responses, but that question is, what does Detroit mean to you? Yes, Detroit means family. Detroit means love. Detroit means sometimes a struggle. But I think even with the struggle, there's light at the end of the tunnel happiness, community, and culture. If I had to put words on it, I would say culture, love, and community is what Detroit means to me. All right. Well, that's good. Great response right there. Well, Courtney, this has been fun. This has been fantastic. Um, learning more about your story, learning more about your background. Again, I'm almost amazed in the sense that it reminds me of myself, but also what you've been able to overcome personally. The fact that you are standing on the shoulders of greatness as a black woman. Um, the fact that you are just doing some amazing stuff overall. We have some of the same friends and colleagues in common that you have been able to break bread with and build community with. So thank you for coming on here and blessing us with your presence much appreciated no problem and I just want to take the time out to thank you I know we have been planning on doing this podcast episode (laughs) for months and it was me um, and my time commitments and things like that so just thank you for working with me to make sure that this happened I really appreciate it and thank you for this podcast and this platform I think that 
we need to highlight the greatness that we do have in this city and make sure that we network with each other and, you know, spread the love, the resources and things like that so we can keep our city up and vibe, like really, really do something for generations that follow us. Hey, no worries on your time. I know life is busy, but <laughs> things happen. It's not a big deal, but, you know, you always had a space. It was a space reserved for you, so much appreciated. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, on behalf of Courtney B. Morris, I am Marquise D. Taylor. This is <laughs> Detroit Worldwide, and we're going to holler at you on the other side. Peace. Bye, y'all.